Shalom, everyone. It's time for Ancient Jewish Wisdom for a Modern World that will change your thinking and change your life. Welcome to the Dust of the Rabbi podcast with Rabbi Brian Baruch Belechi. Shalom, everyone. This is Rabbi Brian Belechi. I'm so glad to be with you for another episode of the Dust of the Rabbi. And I don't have my co-host today, but I thought I would go into a topic that I think is so important, and I'm just going to talk today about kingdom parables. And I think it's time for a little Q&A, because we've had a few people ask questions in the weeks that we've been talking about Jesus, him being a rabbi, and his teaching style. We've been talking about the parables of Jesus, and today I want to talk about the parables of the kingdom, or what we call kingdom parables parables. And these are very important when it comes to the teaching style of Jesus, because we already know that Jesus really steps into a scenario where his cousin, John the Baptist, has been teaching about the kingdom of heaven being near. And he tells the people of Israel to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is drawing near. So the question might be today, one of the questions that came up is, what is the kingdom And then secondly, what is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven? So if you've ever read that in the Bible, you'll notice that sometimes we see kingdom of God and other times we see the kingdom of heaven. So let's talk again about what we talked about in last week's episode when Brian Garza was asking me questions about what parable we're going to talk about. We talked about the parable of the learner, which is called the sower and the seed, and that's found in Matthew chapter 13. I think it's very important to go back to what we were discussing about parables. So let's go to the Greek term for parable, and that is parabole, parabole. And this really means to put something alongside something else to compare it. And so we're comparing sometimes a very earthly situation or circumstance, even occupation like that of a farmer, a mason, a carpenter, as Jesus was a carpenter, as his father was a carpenter. We can think about these parables really landing well with this audience because he understood the typical duties of the day. And so he wanted to relate to his audience. And his audience was very diversified. He had people that were disciples, and then he had people that were just followers. And we said that followers are not always learners. But a disciple is a learner. It's someone who's disciplined in certain areas, especially learning the Word of God, learning how to pray, learning how to worship, learning how to be generous in their giving, learning how to intercede for others in prayer, learning a lot of things that Jesus would teach them as disciples for three and a half years. So we have to take the Greek word parabole and go back to the original word we find in its first reference. And we actually find out that the word for a parable is the same word for a proverb. And that is the Hebrew word mashal, mashal. And mashal is actually what we use for proverbs, as in the book of Proverbs that we call mishle. So as we talk about parables and the parables of Jesus and Jesus being a rabbi, we said that the parables compared natural, very familiar things in the daily life of those that were in Jesus' audience. Like we talked about last week, the sower and the seed. So farmers were very familiar with living off of the land, sowing seed in good soil to reap a good harvest. 
So when Jesus talks about the four soils, the wayside, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good fertile soil, we know that it's all dealing with something that's very common, not only within Israel, but all of the Middle East. But as we compare alongside that natural occupation of being a farmer, we also know that there's other things that it can be compared to. So many times, heavenly things or spiritual things are compared to natural things. And so we see that there is a parallel or a comparison. In fact, in the way Jews would write the scriptures, especially those that were priests and prophets, patriarchs and leaders of Israel, they would use what we call sometimes Hebrew poetry, where there's a comparison and not necessarily a contrast. Because I think what we have a tendency to do when we look at Old Testament, New Testament, we're so used to contrasting Scripture that we forget to first compare Scripture. And that's exactly what a parable is. It's a comparison. So when you think about Jesus' teaching, he was constantly comparing things Like he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. He's looking for this treasure. And so you think about these these comparisons in Scripture. Or the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And that's a confusing one because you usually have a negative connotation when it comes to leaven. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like so many things that Jesus, as a rabbi, Yeshua used these principles to relate to things that maybe were not as easily understood. This is why you had to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand the deeper things of God. And so these Torah principles that Jesus would teach as a Torah scholar sometimes had to be told again in a story form. And these stories were parables. We understand that these parables, these short sayings, or these stories that have deep meaning are really connecting us to things that are much deeper in topic, much more heavenly and lofty. You know, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So the masses of people that followed Jesus as a rabbi, many of them didn't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear or the heart to understand. So he would tell them a story that they could understand, hoping that they make the connection or the comparison between the two. Specifically, though, If the followers didn't have an understanding, the disciples should. Because the disciples were told that you should know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. There it is again. What is the kingdom? What are these kingdom parables? So here's a simple way to understand the kingdom. The kingdom, if you break it down in English, it's king and dome. Dome means dominion. So the kingdom is the king's dominion. It's wherever the king rules and reigns. So I think it's very important for us to understand that wherever God has authority to rule and reign in your life, you are allowing the kingdom to be in control. And there's so many kingdoms in this world that one day will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Messiah, according to Revelation chapter 11. But the only way that's going to happen is to allow the king to become king of our hearts, king of our thoughts, king of our words, and king of our actions. We have to surrender to the king. And if you've ever studied the story of any kingdom, you know the kingdom rises or falls on the king and his authority and the relationship he has with those that are in his kingdom, the subjects of his kingdom. So I want you to think about these kingdom parables 
that there's not really a location of the kingdom of heaven. We could talk about heaven and earth, yes, as locations, but really the kingdom is more a dimension. It's a place and space in which you allow the king to invade that space and take rulership and ownership. So when you surrender to God, you're surrendering to the kingdom or the kingship of God, or as it's said in the book of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. Here's another thing we have to understand. Most of the gospels use kingdom of God, but Matthew exclusively uses the kingdom of heaven. So one of the questions this week was, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? So I'm going to let you in on a little ancient Jewish wisdom. You see, there's a commandment in, in the Ten Commandments that we're very familiar with, to not take God's name in vain. And this really changed the framework on how people communicated or spoke the name or understood the name of God. And we know specifically that name of God, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, those four letters, we hear a shortened form of it when we say Hallelujah. And Orthodox Jews do not pronounce the name publicly. They would rather say Hashem, the name, or Adonai, which means Lord or Master. It's exactly what the English Bible does every time it sees the four-lettered name of God, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He, that can be transliterated as Y-H-V-H. Those letters of the name are letters of existence from the verb Hayah. And it means that God who always was, is, and will be. And so he's also the God who brings all things into existence because his verb to be starts in the past, was, and be conjugated in the future, will be. So God who always was will be whatever you need him to be in any given situation. But that name of God was so sacred and so holy that many Jews and many rabbis would say, especially those of the Pharisees, they would say that we should not pronounce the name in public, that only people like the high priest of Israel on the Day of Atonement should pronounce that holy name. So out of respect for this command to not take God's name in vain, in vanity, or in empty use, where it devalues the name of God, many of the Jewish authorities would say, instead of speaking that name, let's use what we now call a circumlocution, which is a way to reference God or something heavenly or lofty with another term. So instead of saying kingdom of God, Jews began to say the kingdom of heaven, because where does God's kingdom rule and reign? In the heavenly realm. And so when you think about the kingdom of heaven, it's really just a unique way to say the kingdom of God. It's the same thing, but out of respect for Matthew's audience, which seems to be exclusively Jewish, especially to the Jewish authorities, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. You see a lot of reference of respectful laws we call halakha, or rules of how to conduct oneself, how to walk in a pagan world, the Jews would refrain from not only pagans hearing this name and corrupting it, the name of God, but also among Jews, they didn't want the common Jew that didn't have scholarly learning to take that name and use it improperly. So they would avoid speaking the name. And this is why we have the kingdom of of heaven in Matthew's gospel over the kingdom of God. Now, there is actually one place where Matthew uses kingdom of God because he actually needs to say God 
to give a more personal reference to God himself. And that's Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now think about it. He couldn't say, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, because people would confuse seeking a realm versus seeking the one who reigns. So he has to say kingdom of God because he wants you to understand that Elohim, God, who is the creator and the final judge of all humanity, he is the one we should be seeking. And I have to say that in today's age, we need to be seeking God and not other things. We shouldn't be seeking after possessions and positions and titles that lead to entitlement, but seeking God himself, not just the gift, but the giver of the gift. If you need healing, seek the God who is the healer. If you need peace, seek the God who is your shalom. If you seek righteousness, seek the God who is righteous, and he becomes our righteousness. So all these names of like Adonai Sidkenu, you know, Adonai Shalom, you know, all these beautiful names of God, you know, even if you reference God with another form like El Shaddai, the God who's sufficient, more than enough, all that you need as your supplier and provider, as he supplied to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whatever name of God that you're using, do it with respect and honor. So I really appreciate Matthew's gospel because Matthew is writing to his own Jewish people, the very Jewish people that probably hated his occupation prior to becoming a disciple of Jesus because he was a tax collector. But this gospel writer, Matthew specifically, hones in on Jewish culture and it really speaks to the Jewish people, especially the authorities of Israel. And out of respect, he uses kingdom of heaven every other time minus Matthew 6, 33. And this is where he begins to say that Jesus, Yeshua, was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, these messages, this good news that there is a king and a kingdom reign or dominion, and that we would all one day be kings and priests reigning under the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Trust me, these kingdom parables, they are powerful. So John the Baptist starts by preaching the gospel of the kingdom and tells us to repent. Jesus picks up that same exact message of John the Baptist, or we call him Yochanan the Immerser, and he was telling people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus talks about the kingdom in different ways. He teaches his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in one sense, the kingdom is coming. But he also teaches his disciples that the kingdom is all around us and even inside us. Because whenever you let the reign of the king rule on the inside of you, then the kingdom is not just near, but the kingdom is within. Because it's wherever the reign of the king has full authority in your life, in your circumstance, in your city, in your politics, in your decision making. Everything that we surrender to it becomes the authority of our life. So if you surrender to God, God becomes the final authority. If you surrender to Yeshua as your Messiah, as your King, as the Anointed One, then He becomes Lord. I think these kingdom parables teach us about the reign of God's kingdom in all aspects. We should pray for the kingdom come to this world, but we should also recognize the kingdom lives within us because the King is King of hearts. And he's king of your heart and my heart if you surrender to him. 
So I want to read you a kingdom parable that I think is so powerful. I'm going to read the parable that we see in Matthew 13:44. We talked about it before, and then I'm going to read a parable right after it. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that we, that's hidden in a field, which a man, when he found it, he hid. And because of his joy, he goes out and sells all that he has to buy that field. Now, what is this parable all about? Well, obviously, we know the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden. Because the kingdom of heaven, to many people, is hidden. It's hidden to their eyes they can't see. It's hidden to their ears they can't hear. And to their heart they can't understand. He goes on in verse 45 to say, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for pearls. Again, talking about hidden treasure. Pearls are of great value and great treasure. Verse 46 says, Upon finding the pearl of great value, he went out and sold all that he had and bought it. Can you hear the surrender in this parable? That if you understand that the kingdom is like hidden treasure, and it's like a pearl of great price, to surrender to this king, to allow him to be Lord of your life, that means that you value the treasure you have found. You don't treat that kingdom and that kingship like it's just something of low value or low cost. But you consider the cost in everything you do. You're willing to sell all to have this kingdom reality and this kingdom authority in your life. Reminds me of when I first turned my life over to God's authority. I realized that nothing else compared to this love and this peace and this encounter that I had. And this kingdom principle teaches us to really Look at the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in a different way. Heaven's rule, heaven's reign over your life only takes place when you surrender to the king of the universe. As we pray all the time in Hebrew, Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, we call God the king of the universe. We say, blessed are you, O Lord our God, king of the universe. When we surrender to that kingdom and we understand these kingdom parables, it changes our life. We're able to compare physical things, natural things, familiar things to heavenly things, to spiritual things. So today I hope you consider these kingdom parables. Now this is just a small Q&A. We're going to do some more of these. And so if you send in your questions, I'll be able to not only get the questions and do another one of these Q&As to give you answers, but you can follow me on Twitter at Rabbi underscore Brian, all lowercase, Rabbi underscore Brian, B-R-I-A-N, and follow me and send me a message. Maybe just shoot me out a question that you might have and let me know exactly where your brain is going, where your thoughts are going when it comes to reading these parables. Maybe read some of the ones you see in Matthew chapter 13, or maybe go to Luke chapter 8 and see a few of those. Man, can't wait to get to a fun one in Luke 15. The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, otherwise known as the prodigal son. So we're grateful that you have joined us, and I want to say shalom to all of you, and see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, follow us for more episodes as you rate and review the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Dust of the Rabbi podcast with Rabbi Brian Baruch Belechi. Shalom. Lehitrot. See you next time.